Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome this morning. So glad uh, that you joined us. Uh, I want to welcome you. If I hadn't had a chance to meet you, as uh, Alex said earlier, we are one church, multiple locations, and uh, I'm Chris. Uh, I'm the campus pastor here, and we're honored that you joined us out here at Milestone McKinney. We're honored that you are here this morning, and as I said, if I hadn't had a chance to meet you, I look forward to meeting you after service. Uh, we're celebrating, just before we get into our last message in this series called Passion, I just want to highlight again, and Alex, uh, I'm the same, I would have been just like Alex, kudos to him being able to hold it together. I probably wouldn't have been able to hold it together being up here because I've been in moments like this where you see young people's lives uh, transform. But just want to celebrate and commend all of you young people. And I'm just so proud of you. Yeah. What God's doing in your life. And you live in a culture that everything that God has in store for you, the culture's pulling you the opposite direction. And I said it earlier, the, cult, the, the courage that you have to just press in. And, and I think about what my life may have been like. And God wastes nothing, right? So even at 19, he still did a work in my life. But I think about the impact and the influence perhaps I could have had in people's lives if I would have been courageous to make the decision that you made. So I'm so proud of you, Wendy and I both. Just proud and honored and just so grateful for the Elevate team, all the volunteers, uh, all the pa- there's parents, there's, there's couples that gave their weekend up, okay, to hang out with your kids, okay, to stay in dorm rooms. And to, I heard fable of one who said they weren't able to sleep because one of our Keller campus uh, volunteers snored like a freight train, okay, <laughs> sacrificed sleep just so all these young people can meet and impact and be impacted by the presence of Jesus. And there's so many fun things. I'm just telling you, I, I got to be careful because I can talk about this. I can preach on this all, all morning. But when you see the moments of God working and moving, the energy that our Keller and, and McKinney campus and has that we put in to creating moments like this. We had, how many students were there? 500, 400? 450, about 500 middle school and high school students took over uh, a camp, yeah, in, in Waxahachie, Texas. I mean, that's unheard of, and to see what God's doing, and create, that's why, again, you hear Alex talk about your generosity allows us to do things like this. You get, I'm just telling you, mom, dad, do anything you can short of sin to get your students into environments like this, okay? Because it's moments like this that transform their life. And I'm just telling you, they will kick and scream. They will say they don't want to go. They will be mad at you. You're okay. Your value is beyond your kids being, that's a whole nother message. We'll talk about that and we'll talk about that and let's talk family, okay? Uh, but I'm just telling you, you get them and God does the work. So I'm so proud of you. And, and we talked about at the beginning of the year, some of you, you've just recently started uh, joining Milestone Church. And we talked about the word for the year is grow and how we're going to be very intense intentional about helping you grow. And so that's not just you as adults, as young adults, as young couples or young families, that's students as well. We believe you don't have to wait to be great. You can be a great kid. You can be a great student. And so uh, we're going to be entering into a new series called Let's Talk Family. And so we're going to be dialing in on what that looks like and helping you win in every area. You may go, well, I'm not married yet or I don't have a family yet. I'm telling you, there's still Biblical principles that you can begin to walk out to prepare yourself for the season of life that you're either in or you're going to be coming in too. And so make sure that you're here for that. Think about those you we all know. You're thinking, well, I'm thinking of myself, but there's probably people you know that would benefit from being in an environment like this and learning from God's word about what it looks like 
to have a godly family. But then the intentionality with young people, uh, we do our women's events a couple of times a year. But guys, you know, hey, we're thinking about y'all. I did hear, I think there are some ladies behind. They're like, I want to go do some axe throwing. Okay, well, it's a men's night, all right? And so mark your calendar. You'll hear more info about this. But, man, what we're going to do is we're going to meet up here at the church, and we'll caravan down there together. I was already talking to a guy in church who's got some, some cars. I'm like, you need to bring some of your stuff down there. And he's got a food truck. I'm like, maybe we just maybe we just bring our own food truck down there. I don't know. We'll just see what happens. You know, we'll be like, we'll share with them, you know. And so we're going to go down there together. Uh, uh, there's not many times throughout the course of the year that we're able to come together as a whole as one church. And so this will be a great opportunity for all of us to come down or to go down to Keller, have fun, uh, celebrate together. We'll hear a great message from our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff. So mark your calendars. And I'm just telling you, this is a great opportunity. Those co-workers, those business partners, those friends that you have that they just won't come to church with you, they'll probably go throw an axe with you. Okay, so invite them. They may come, throw an axe, and who knows, they may meet Jesus at the same time, okay? So uh, mark your calendar for that. And again, why? Because my heart, our heart for you is that you grow. We're going to be real intentional about you taking steps, growing in your relationship with God, growing in your marriage, growing in your relationships and business and with others, helping you win where it matters most. Okay, so open up your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to get there in just a minute, but uh, I kind of want to give you just a little recap of uh, this series that we're going to be wrapping up today called Passion. And uh, we've been looking at the life of Jesus as he's coming to uh, this moment that we recognize as Easter. And for years, Christians have been taking the 40 days leading towards Easter and celebrating and reflecting. In fact, uh, I grew up in a heritage and then living in Lafayette, Louisiana, uh, there, there were often times where I was around people that celebrated Lent. And maybe you grew up in a heritage like that as well. And Lent actually means spring. And it's a time of reflection. So it's these 40 days leading to Easter where you're reflecting and thinking about what Jesus does on the cross. And so today, Today is actually the first day of what is known as the Passion Week. It's the last week of Jesus' life, and it's Palm Sunday. And, and when we get to Matthew 21, we're going to look at Palm Sunday, the scripture of Palm Sunday. I want to share this little timeline with you, though. I shared this week one of Passion, just a quick little overview by way of review. You've got today, Triumphal Entry. It's Palm Sunday, and maybe you're familiar with Palm Sunday, maybe you're not, but we're going to look at the scripture and we'll learn what does Palm Sunday mean, what's the significance of all of that. Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and he cleanses the temple. We're going to read about that today and, and look at what Jesus is doing and what he's saying. And so here he is, then he goes to Tuesday, he teaches in the temple most of the day. He also goes to the Mount of Olives, spends time with the Lord. Wednesday, he's anointed uh, by Mary. Thursday, he eats Passover with the disciples. It's what we just celebrated in receiving communion. It was that moment that Jesus had with the disciples. Friday, trial, crucifixion, and burial. Good Friday. It's what we'll celebrate. We'll have a Good Friday service. We'll have an Easter service this Good Friday at 5 o'clock on Friday. Saturday, he's prepared for burial, but then Sunday, something happens, and we all know what happens. He's risen, and we celebrate Easter, and we celebrate what Jesus has done for us. And so when you look at this when you look at Jesus' life, you look at this timeline, we've been focusing on what well, what is passion? You see, we all want to live passionately. 
We all want to be passionate about things. We all, we all love passion. I shared with you how I'm very passionate. And, and when you're passionate about things, you know, passion, we all want to be a part of something bigger. If you were here week one and you got to hear about my passion for powerlifting and how I was a, a powerlifter. I know you're surprised. You're looking at me now thinking, you're, you're, yeah, go back and listen to week one. And you'll hear the story of my powerlifting exploits, okay? And, and it was just, I wanted to be a part of something bigger. And, and when you think about passion, we all want to live for something greater. We all want to live a life full of passion, but we've, we've also discovered that society and culture today, the way we're driven is that, that passion is something that's out there, that we got to work to try and find it as though it's something elusive when really in reality, passion is within inside of us. And it's a discovery, it's discovering the purpose that God has given us. There's a divine purpose Right, that plays out in a very significant way, and it's that passion that fuels it. You see, the thing is that so many young people, just having been around young people for so long, when you think about passion, you think about trying to find passion, sometimes it gets a little cloudy because we think that passion is simply doing the things you love to do. Just do the things you like. Do the things that you want to, and that's not what Jesus models for us when it comes to passion. Passion is, is much more than that. And, 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 and we can feel, all of us can feel a pressure. But I've, as I've been around young couples and I've been around, I, and that's hard for me to even say. I mean, at 42, I'm not like a young couple anymore. I mean, I'm celebrating 19 years of marriage this summer. So it's like, man, it's like the reality is there's a whole other generation and, and as this generation is coming up, there's this significant pressure that they feel to actually live a life that every moment has to be fueled with such massive significance. And you got to capture it. And if you didn't post it on social, it didn't really happen. But it did. It did. But significance is not simply leveled and, and limited to that. There's much more to those things. and In fact, a study shows that young people between the ages of 16 and 24, when you look at passion in their life, 16% of people, 16, you think, well, that's not very big. Well, 16% of all of the 16 to 24-year-olds feel as though their life isn't very significant. But it's not just young people. Because globally, 13% of the workforce feel as though what they're doing for their job, they don't enjoy doing. And they feel no significance in what they put their hand to. You see, there's this aspect of feeling as though our life has to matter for something as it should. But that's where the problem comes in. That's the challenge. How do we get there? How do we live a passionate life? It's hard because we don't really fully understand it. We get up. We do our best, we're responsible, we take care of our family, we go to work every day, we do the things that we should do, yet we feel as though life isn't measuring up. It's not playing out the way that we thought. So how do we get there? Well, I think we have to understand there's something deeper than just the significance of passion. You see, because passion does have significance, the, 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 you, you're passionate about something because you want to live a life of significance, but passion produces significance, but it will always require sacrifice. You see, we want significance, but we, we forget this word right here. And, and we forget this word because really, when it comes down to it, we don't really like the word sacrifice, if we're honest with ourselves. 
sacrifice. You, you, you live in this moment where you have to let go and you have to sacrifice things. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. In fact, we looked at the original word passion in the original context in the Latin actually means to suffer. So it's not just being passionate. It's not just doing the things you like doing. It's suffering for something. And here's what I know about myself. I'll only suffer for that which I love. And while suffering by definition is defined, right, by or passion by definition is defined by suffering, it is motivated and fueled by affection. By affection. What I love. What I love. I'll only suffer and sacrifice for that which I love. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. That's how Jesus lived his life. That's why this week is called Passion Week. He wasn't really excited. He wasn't just going to do the things he liked doing. He's going to suffer and sacrifice and pay a price that we could not pay. Pay it for us that we may experience freedom that otherwise we could not obtain. You see, that's what passion really is and what it looks like. I, I had this thought last Sunday and it, it kind of hit me. Last Sunday night, I officiated a wedding, and I officiated a wedding for uh, uh, this young couple. Wendy and I did the, the premarital counseling for this young couple, but this young couple was also a close friend of ours' daughter, and so I've done lots of weddings. In fact, people would ask me at the wedding, man, how many weddings have you officiated? And I wasn't sure if they were asking me because I did a good job. They're like, man, you seem like a seasoned vet. Or like, man, that was terrible. Is this your first time? Like rookie moves up there. I don't know. But at the end of the day, Jesus was pleased. The bride and groom were pleased. And Love Biscuit over here was like, you fine, baby. You did awesome. I was like, well, that's all that matters. I appreciate it. I'm going to wear a suit more often for her. Okay? That's, and so I, I'm, I'm getting ready for this, this wedding. And Sunday afternoon, I'm working out. And I had this moment. And it, and it hit me. When you think about significant moments. And, and a wedding is a significant moment. Right, and and I think about what my friend Jed, and some of you may know Jed, Pastor Jed is as one of the teaching pastors on our team, and and there's times where if I'm not here speaking, we may live stream, and it may sometimes it is Pastor Jed that's sharing on a weekend, and so it's his oldest daughter Isabel, and uh, Jed, I was talking to Pastor Jed all week long, and he's like, man, Chris, it's just different, it's different. I mean, when it's your own daughter, it's just I'm like. I know, you're right, you know, and I'm like, I think I know, though, but you're telling me I don't really know because you don't really know until it happens. I'm like, so I, I want to know, but I think I don't know, but can I know? I hope I know what's happening to me, okay? And I had this moment. I'm actually in the garage, and I'm working out, and, and my little girl who's 10 comes out, and she says, Daddy, can I walk the dog around the block? Mama said to ask you, and I was just like, Okay, I said yes. I'm not sure why I said yes, but I just said yes, you know. And, and, and so uh, I said yes, and, and it's not that we're, I mean, we live in a, a good neighborhood. It's nice, and it's not that there's nothing fear about, fear motivated about it. We, just, we always walked around the block together, or we are just like, no, just stay right here where we can see you. But I was in the garage. I said yes, so she comes back in, she gets home, and I said, how was walking the dog around the, uh, around the block, and she had this big old smile on her face, and she said, it was so fun. And I thought in that moment, I'm like, the excitement that she feels because she just experienced an adventure that she never had before. 
and, and the trust that she feels because her dad just let her walk around the block. That's a big move. And I'm thinking to myself, this is what Jed is going to experience tonight, you know, because walking the dog around the block is the same as giving your daughter away in marriage. No, not really. But in that moment, I, I felt it for just a minute, and I kid you not, like I'm in the middle of like, I don't know, I was doing crunches or burpees, and I was crying, not because it hurt. All of a sudden, I did. I got emotional. I'm like crying. Like it hit me. It was like a revelation all at one time. Like my little girl walking the dog around the block for the first time by herself was a significant moment, but not because the moment in and of itself was that significant. It was the adventure she felt and the trust that she experienced from her father. You see, but there was a sacrifice that I had to give. And in that moment, the sacrifice was just simply trusting God. You're in control. You're going to take care of her as she walks around the block. No one's going to try and abduct her. She's not going to get hit by a car. There's not going to be another big dog that comes and attacks our little dog. All the things that may run through your mind. Maybe that's just me, okay? Uh, I'm sure you don't have any of those thoughts because you're holy and pure and just focused on the Lord. And just Jesus, it's all you. So thank you. Please counsel me after service, okay? So... It's like, man, what, what is, and like experiencing all of those things. And while no, Pastor Jed giving away Isabel in marriage and, and, and Camden walking around the block is not the same, the principle is the same. That in every significant moment, there is always a measure of sacrifice. You see, we live in a culture, though, that significant moments are. They're thought to be marked by passion and, and doing what you want. And it's just all fun and easy and exciting. No, what Jesus modeled for us is that significant moments often have a high level of a lack of control and challenge. They often bring us to a moment where we have to sacrifice and begin to let go. What does that do? It causes us to trust in the Lord like we never have before. And we begin to step into those things. And, and that's where I want us to look at, at this scripture in Matthew 21. Where we're looking at this moment when Jesus, as we come, he's coming into Jerusalem. Now let me give you a little context of what's happening here on Palm Sunday. This moment, this triumphal entry. So all of the Israelites would always come to Jerusalem at this moment in time to celebrate Passover. Passover was a significant moment. Passover represented what it was when God brought the people out of Egypt. Okay, and some of you know the story. The death angel passed over, and because they had put blood of a spotless lamb on the doorpost, the death angel passed over, and they were spared. And so Passover was a significant moment for the people of Israel. They're all coming to Jerusalem. Jesus is coming in this moment, but what he's doing is he's saying, I want to take this moment that is significant, and I want to shift your attention and put it on something far more significant that's about to happen. But the disciples had no clue what was going on. They didn't know how significant a moment this was going to be towards the end of the week. The people of Israel that were believing for the Messiah to come, their Savior to come, they had no idea what was about to happen. And in fact, in this moment, before he comes into Jerusalem, Jesus sends the disciples to go and get a donkey. Go get a donkey and bring it back. They're going, go get a donkey. Jesus just asked to go get a donkey. Like, do we pay for the donkey? Do we borrow the donkey? Are we stealing the donkey? What is happening? I don't know. They're not sure. But they go and get a donkey and they bring it back. And then this is what begins to happen as we look. Matthew 21, beginning in verse 8. It says, a very large crowd 
spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Now, when you look at this and, and uh, you, you recognize, so why do we call it Palm Sunday? That's where we get this from, these branches that were laid on the, on the ground. Those branches were oftentimes uh, palm fronds, which are basically a palm branch. Now, what does that represent? It actually is similar to in ancient Greece, Olympians actually were awarded palm fronds when they won. They weren't given medals when they won. They are actually given palm branches. So you can imagine, you know, yeah, I won, fastest 100-meter dash. Here's a palm tree, all right? You know, it's like awesome. But there was a reason why, because the palm frond represented victory and honor. And so what the people are doing is Jesus is coming in. They're laying down cloaks and palm trees signifying victory and honor. The Messiah is coming. He's coming. And so here it is, verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and of those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? Now, this is significant. They're saying, Hosanna. What does that mean? Hosanna means to save or he saves. That's what Hosanna means. And so they're shouting, he saves, he saves as he's coming in. But still, they don't recognize, who is he? Who is this guy? Verse 11, the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And it is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer. But you are making it a den of robbers. So he comes into the temple. Now understand this. The temple was the most significant place. It was the apex. It's where God's presence was. So he's coming in and he's overturning all these tables. Why? Because he's saying, I disapprove and I'm frustrated with how you're cheating and deceiving the people. And then he says this statement, this bold, this is my house. Okay, that was long before Nike, long before Under Armour, protect this house. Okay, long before any sports cliche, Jesus is saying, this is my house. What is he saying? What's the significance of that phrase? He's saying, I want to help you see who I really am. So he signified, well, the only person would say, remember, the temple is where God's presence resides. And what's he saying? This is my house. So what he's, 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 he's communicating there, listen, this is... I, I want to give you a window, a picture into who I really am. Verse 14, it says, The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They weren't pleased with what Jesus was doing. They weren't pleased about the change and the transformation there's going to be times in your life when as you press in and you allow Jesus to do what only he can do in your life, others around you may not be real pleased and happy about the changes you begin to make in your life because now it brings a change that affects them. And so they don't get real thrilled about those things. They don't get real happy about it. And that's what was happening with these religious leaders. Verse 16, do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him, yes, we replied, Jesus, have you never read from the lips of children and infants? You, Lord, have called forth your praise. And he left them and went out to the city to Bethany where he spent the night. You see, he, he's, he's got an underlying message here that he's really 
making very clear. You see, there's a few huge things that are happening in this little passage. There's some massive stuff that's happening just in this little passage that we just read. And I, and I kind of want to pull it out for you, and then I want to give you some practical things to help you understand. So how do I take the significance of Palm Sunday and apply it to my everyday life, where I don't just celebrate it and live it out one day a year? I don't just simply reflect and think of what Jesus did on the cross just one week a year leading into Easter. And so before I get to those practical things, I want you to recognize what Jesus is doing here in this text. First is this. Jesus is declaring to the world, I am the one true king. I'm the one true king. Now that, that's significant because I think of it this way. Think of it like some of you know Daniel. I'm not sure where Daniel is at. He was on the front row earlier, but Daniel's up here, plays our guitar. Uh, our guitar, it's not our guitar, it's his guitar, and it's pink. He's got a white one too, it's pretty cool, you know. But he plays the guitar, and it's, it's awesome. it would be like me hanging out with Daniel all day, every day. I'm around Daniel, and I mean, he's got he's cool boots, and, and, and you know, he's got good hair, and he can play the guitar, and I can't play the guitar, and it's just awesome, you know, and he's, he's great. He's, he's Loves the Lord, serves faithfully, all of that. And you're just around him all day, every day. And it's kind of like, it's like, I don't know about you. I like sports. You may like sports. You may think, here he goes again, another sports analogy. Okay, well, we just, you know, celebrated the pinnacle of the NFL just a while back at the Super Bowl. Super Bowl is a big deal. I don't know about you, but it's, in fact, NFL is the most watched thing on TV when the NFL, and it's only on a few months out of the year. And I mean, you think about the deals they made, like all these uh, TV deals that were just signed recently, right? And so it's a big deal. And it's like the Super Bowl is the climax. I mean, I don't know about you if you've ever been to a Super Bowl. Uh, if you have, awesome. Let's go again, me and you sometime. All right, I'd love to go. And so it would be like me and Daniel going to the Super Bowl. And all of a sudden, Daniel goes, uh, I'll be right back. I, I got to go play in the game. Wait, what? The guy that plays the guitar? And Daniel just walks down, you know, goes into the locker room, suits up, comes out with a helmet on, pulls his best Tom Brady, wins the Super Bowl. And you're like, what is happening? This is just an everyday guy. I just thought it was a pink guitar and good boots, and that was it. No, he's like Tom Brady. Okay, that's what Jesus just did. Jesus is around the disciples. People are around him all day, every day. Oh, he's just a prophet. Prophet from Nazareth and Galilee. I mean, really, he's nobody. I mean, he's a carpenter's son. He himself is a carpenter. No big deal. But all of a sudden, it's Super Bowl. It's game time. He gets in the game, and he doesn't just get in the game. He wins the thing. That's what Jesus just did. And what he's doing is, see, and we looked at it in week one. There were often times where he said, now is not my hour. Now is not my hour. Now is, but then as he's coming into Jerusalem, he said, for the hour has come for me to serve this purpose. So, so it is the hour, and he's making himself clear. I am the king. Here's the other thing that we recognize. Jesus is a humble, gentle servant king. I love Jesus because I, I like leadership. I study a lot of leadership stuff. Jesus was the first servant leader. Okay, before all the, all, and I love reading all the leadership books, but all the leadership stuff you hear about servant leadership, Jesus modeled that first. He was a servant leader. And he comes humbly in, and it says he comes in on a donkey. He didn't come in on a war horse. He didn't come in on a big old stallion. He didn't come in going, here I am, and he's just flying through, and you got, no, no, no. He comes in on a baby donkey, just real slow. Just real slow. Why? So he can make sure he can connect with the people. 
Walk slowly through the crowd. Connect with people. Humble, gracious, connecting, gentle. I love the word gentle. Gentle by definition means strength under control. A gentle leader. And as he does that, what begins to happen that we begin to see in this, in this scripture is that thirdly, people begin to struggle to stay close to Jesus. You know, Sunday, people are shouting, King, King, Hosanna, Hosanna. By Friday, they're saying, kill him, kill him, kill him. You see, the closer you get to Jesus, the more you begin to recognize the areas that he wants to impact your life and help you grow in. And either you're going to embrace that or you're going to pull away from that. And so it, we all get in that place where we struggle to stay close to Jesus because the closer we get, the more we recognize he wants to do a work in our life so we can be who he has always intended for us to be, so we can grow into who he's called us to be. But it's challenging. But here's the last thing that we recognize in this bit of scripture. Is that this is a picture for all of life. You see, when the king came to the city, everyone came out to meet him. This is significant because the Messiah didn't just come for a celebration, but he came to set everything in order. Jesus didn't come to be just celebrated and palm branches thrown down and, yeah, he's the Messiah. He came to put everything back in order in this moment. In fact, Palm Sunday is a snapshot and a picture to what it will look like when Jesus comes back one day and there is a celebration of victory and he comes in and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So Palm Sunday, this beginning, this entry, triumphal entry, it's a type and it's a picture of what it will look like one day. So he's coming and Jesus is going, this is, I'm setting everything in order. This is the beginning. And I can remember, I think personally, as I've thought about this, and even with our small group this past week, we talked actually a lot about this as a small group. We're talking about, let's talk about Easter memories, and, and let's talk about Easter, and what do you think about Easter, and, and what's your fondest memory? And, and many of us that were sharing, of course, you had kind of your Easter, you know, getting dressed up in your Easter best, and, you know, my mom, you know, I was the oldest of three boys. She'd throw us in the little seersucker suits and hush puppy shoes. And then, you know, once we got home from church, you know, we'd go climbing trees. And we basically tore our suits up and tore the shoes up. And mom's like, man, why am I even doing this? You know, so by that time, she's like, this is hopeless. You know, they're just ruining the clothes. We didn't know any better. It's like, okay. It's like, we got clothes on. There's a tree. That tree is meant to be climbed. Let's get up it, Okay. You think about those things, you think about the family activities or the traditions that maybe you had, and some of it maybe centered around Easter egg hunts and things like that. But as we talked in our small group, then we started talking about moments that were significant when we think about Easter and it comes to service. You think about Easter service and recognizing what Jesus did on the cross and the impact and the transformation that happens in our lives. And everyone shared those moments. It was amazing how everyone had a moment where it was kind of like your traditional, maybe Easter kind of, you know, cultural type of traditions that were, they were familiar with. But then everyone also had this moment where they came into this the, a service. They may have been younger, they may have been older, but where they recognized who Jesus was and what he had done on the cross. But even in that, I can remember growing up when I was younger, I had no clue. 
I, I knew that we went to Easter service. I, I knew that I, I was going to wear an Easter best, and my mom was going to put me in an outfit that I probably didn't want to wear, and I was probably going to get, you know, I was probably going to tear up and then get in trouble for. But what did it actually mean? You see, here's hope. You may feel the same thing. I mean, what, what is Palm Sunday? What is, what is Easter? What is Passion Week? You're in good company. The disciples had no clue. They had no clue what it looked like. They had no clue what to expect. The people of Israel that were believing for a Messiah that was going to, they thought, come in on a war horse and be a champion and there was going to be victory and no longer are they going to be oppressed. And they thought it looked one way. They had no idea what to do. You see, Jesus is still working and moving in our life even when we don't see it or understand it. In fact, how do we experience what God is doing when we actually don't get it? When we don't see it for what it really is, the disciples didn't get it. They didn't see it for what it was. The, the, the Israelites didn't see it. They didn't get it for what it was. Maybe you didn't see it and get it for what it was. Maybe even to this day, you still are wondering, what does it mean? I mean, I know I come to church. I know I'm going to celebrate Easter. I know I'm going to come to service. I know I'm going to wear my best. I know we're going to take a picture. I know we're going to eat lunch. Can I tell you, it's much more than all those things. All those things are great. Do all of it. Have fun. It's awesome. But it's much more than all of that. So how do we live that out every day? What, what can we do? Well, here's the first thing. Here's the first thing I think we do. We have to see and acknowledge he's Lord. We have to see and acknowledge that he is Lord. Remember the illustration of, of you know, someone going, oh, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a Super Bowl winning quarterback. Oh, yeah, I'm going to go in and play in the game. Jesus declaring who he was there was a book called More Than a Carpenter by Josh McDowell. And he said these three phrases. He said, when Jesus essentially made this declaration that he is Lord, that he is king, that he is the Messiah, and now the hour has come, Josh McDowell said this. He said, when people looked at him, they said either he is a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. You see, when you look and you see when you look at what Jesus has done and who he is, you're going to embrace one of those three. Which is it? And we all know as we look to the word and we experience these things in our life, that unless we allow him to be Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. He wants to be Lord of every area of our life. But again, as we get closer to Jesus and he begins to highlight areas of our life that he's asking us to surrender. He's asking us to grow in as a spouse, as a parent, as a businessman or businesswoman, as a leader, as an entrepreneur, as an individual, as a human being, as a Christian. Just cover all the bases. He puts his finger on things and we're going to go, okay, I'm going to let you be Lord of that area of, of my life as well. I'm guilty. There have been times, oh, yeah, Jesus, you can have all of that. Oh, this area, oh, no, no, no. My, my attitude, my temper, my time. Oh, I mean, like, uh, can I? Uh, he wants all of it. He wants all of it. You see, but we live in a society and a culture where information is so accessible. But just because we have information doesn't mean that we have revelation. And because of the accessibility of information, what begins to happen is we can be deceived if we're not careful. In fact, I saw this little illustration. It's called the Muller Liar Illusion. Maybe you've seen this before. When you look at these two lines, which would you say is longer and shorter? Obviously, the bottom one looks shorter. 
But here's the illusion. When you actually measure the two, the lines are exactly the same length. You see, that's what happens at times. We can all be deceived. And whether whatever you want to call it, whatever it may be, when it comes to motivative reasoning or cognitive bias, conformatory thought, all of those things basically come down to the same premise and thought. It's this, that we believe what we want to believe, and we think what is right is based on what we feel is right. Think about that. We, we do. We, we're we're going to believe what we want to believe, and what we feel is right, that's what's right. That's my truth. No, there is only one truth. There's only one truth. There's only one measuring stick. And what happens is because we have all this information, we just continue to fuel our cognitive bias. And so what happens is you can sound like you know what you're talking about when you really don't. I experienced that this morning. We had some rose bushes that needed some tender, loving care right out front. Well, I tried to give them a little care. Well, the care didn't work, so I attached it to the back of my sequoia and ripped it out of the ground. We said, we're well, just going to get rid of that guy. But I was looking, I was talking to one of our volunteers this morning, and, and her and Tommy were there, and I was talking to her about it, and I said, well, here's why I'm doing it, because when you trim it back, like, really, you're supposed to trim rose bushes down in, like, shoots. You don't want them crossing over each other, and when you trim it down, you want to trim it down where it kind of actually looks like a vase, so then when they grow up, and I stopped, because I'm talking, I'm saying all this stuff, and I said, I looked at our volunteer, I said, I Googled all that. I have no idea what I'm talking about. It just sounds like, I mean, I just, I'm like, how do you trim? It's amazing. How do you trim rose bushes? The things that you can sound like you know and just regurgitate what you just read off of Google. That's how we at times live our life if we're not careful. The only way to ensure that doesn't happen is go, Jesus, your Lord. You think, well, okay, make it practical. I'll tell you, look, here, I saw this study, 81%. This is just to show you it happens every day. All the time. 81% of people, there's a study showed, 81% of people lie to their doctor about their health. We had some medical professionals in the first service and they were all like shaking their head. You want to know why? Because we'd rather be perceived as being healthy than actually be healthy. And unless we allow Jesus to be Lord of every area, then there is a dysfunction and sickness and a lack of health that's inside that we don't recognize and realize. So even though you don't know all that God is wanting to do and work in your life, if you go, hey, I recognize that you're Lord and you allow him to work in your life in a way that only he can, then you'll experience the freedom that Palm Sunday, that Easter brings, not just in those days throughout the course of a year, but every single day of your life. Here's the next thing. We're convinced that he includes all of us. How do, we, how do we experience that? How do we live that out? We are convinced that he includes all of us. Do you believe that he sees you? That he knows where you're at? That he recognizes you? Do you not only recognize that about yourself, but do you see other people? I learned a word this past week, just in preparing for this message, the words attunement. You know, I've worked really hard because, uh, to be honest, it's not real natural. I, I, I work really hard to be empathetic. Just kind of put yourself in other people's shoes. Think about where they're coming from. But attunement actually is deeper than that. It's identifying, understanding, and then engaging in someone else's emotions. When you think about where other people really are, when you look at the, 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 the state 
of where we're at. Even if you were to look at maybe the last year or so, it's crazy to think, you know, just a few weeks ago was one year of like, boom, COVID, shelter in place, all the things that became, as some would say, the new normal, whatever it is and however you want to phrase it. It, it, it's been a challenging year for so many. It's been hard and been difficult and it's been dark. When was the last time you stopped a minute to think about those around you? You see, that can sound a little bit discouraging and although there's a little bit of despair there, but here's the thing, for the people of God, the good thing is you have an opportunity to share hope. You have an opportunity to show hope. You have an opportunity to be light in darkness because of what Jesus has done in your life and you are never living a more significant life than when you are serving other people. It's why we tell you, again, on your, on your seat, you got little Easter cards. Why do we have that? Because we want you to take all of the rest of the Easter cards. You want to know why? Because if you don't take them and pass them out, they're just going to get thrown away. Because we won't need them. Because the truth is, that's not there for promotion. That's there for invitation. You grab those, and you never know what's on the other side of an invitation, just simply inviting someone to come. I was talking to someone uh, in our small group. They actually live uh, in, in West McKinney, actually close to the Frisco line, and they were saying how their uh, neighbor has not been back to church since COVID-19 hit. So almost a year. They went, handed them an invite card, and invited them to come. They're like, okay, we'll come. He's like, man, it was so much easier than I thought. I was like, I felt like I had to get like a sales pitch together and like say the right thing. And like, man, do I like get them breakfast and donuts and kolaches like beforehand? Do we, do we, do we caravan over? Do we, do we carpool? I don't know. How do we do this thing? He's like, I just went and invited him and gave him a card. And they're like, okay, we'll come. You see, what would happen if you didn't just simply go, hey, let me tell you about our services. What would happen if you said, hey, I want to invite you to come with me to service. That's different. That's a different engagement. Hey, I want to invite you to come. And then what if we all went to Luby's afterwards, you know? How many of you remember this one? Furs. I remember furs when I was growing up. Furs was powerful. All you could eat buffet. I mean, okay, maybe you go somewhere. I'll go local Yoko. I don't know, whatever. You know, but, but it's like, man, whatever it may be, you invite them. And, and I heard a story. Actually, there was a couple in our, in our small group. When her and her brother got saved, they're 13 and 11 years old. There was a family in the church they attended, invited them to come to Easter with them, and then invited them over to their house for Easter lunch afterwards. She said, we had never experienced anything like that growing up. Her, her parents didn't serve the Lord. They still don't serve the Lord to this day. She said it was in that moment. She said that's probably one of the most significant Easter moments that I've ever had. Eating lunch at someone else's house after Sunday service because someone invited them. You see, there's all sorts of Easter services that you can come to. We've got Good Friday at 5. You've got, uh, we actually added a service in the morning on Sunday morning. It's sunrise service, but it's actually, the sun's already up, you know. But for you early risers, 8 a.m., you, you could come to 5 p.m. with you just as your family. And then what if you came on a Sunday morning with a family that you invited? What would that look like? Maybe if you're going, I need a little more room or a little more space. You can see already, it's not even Easter. Look what... The 11.15 feels like come to 9.30, come to 8 a.m. There'll be a little more room for you. But what begins to happen is you will experience significance when you start thinking about other people, when you start inviting people and watch what could happen in someone's lives just by the power of an invitation. But here's the third thing. 
When you're going, God, what does this look like? How do I live this out every day? What do, what do I do with this? It's this. We have to trust that he goes before us. We have to trust that he goes before us. I'm going to pray for you here in just a minute, but here's what I've realized. Life's most challenging moments are filled with deep emotion and very little to no control. Life's most challenging moments. Think about it. Think about the most challenging moment you've ever been in. Deep emo- you're, you're in one now. You may be in one now. You walked in these doors. It took everything for you to get yourself and the kids together to get over here to service. Because all you're thinking about and all, you're, all that's racing in your mind is all the things that have been going on over the last week, over the last weekend. All the things that you need to tackle coming up. You see, life's most difficult moments are often filled with deep emotion and very little control. It's overwhelming. The disciples experienced that when they were in the boat going across the sea and a storm came. Jesus was with them, and some of you know the story. You know what Jesus was doing. What was he doing? He was sleeping. So he's in the boat with them. He's totally fine. But there's a storm, and they thought, surely we're going to die. You may be in a moment where you're in the middle of a storm and you think, surely we're going to die. Maybe there's a, a challenging conversation you need to have with a spouse, with a child. Maybe you're in a difficult moment with your children or with a child who's really struggling. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm and a challenge in your business or in transitions that need to happen in your business, with your employees, with your coworkers, or with your boss. I don't know what it may be, but you may be in the middle of a storm and you're thinking, surely we're going to die. But Jesus goes before you. I love to say it this way, and you've heard me say it over and over. He's doing 10,000 things on your behalf. You may be aware of three of them. It doesn't look like he's working and moving. It looks like surely this is going to sink and we're going to die. But he's working and moving because he goes before you. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. You may feel like the disciples felt. You may feel like the people of Israel felt. This is hopeless. I have no idea what's going on. What, what, what is happening? This does not look like I thought it was going to look like. But what can happen when you surrender and you make him Lord? God, I want to see it the way you see it. What can happen when you recognize that, that he came for all of us and he came for all of us in every season of life? You may be winning or you may feel like you're losing. You may feel like you're on a mountaintop or you may feel like you're in a valley. But he sees and knows. You may feel like, man, this is hopeless. I'm about to go down with the ship. But he's going before you. Trust in him.